You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is a special album drop bonus episode featuring asthmatic kitty recording artist, The Welcome Wagon. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Welcome Wagon is a musical duo comprised of married couple Vito and Monique Ayudo. Their musical style is steeped in sacred song traditions presented with minimalist alt-folk sensibilities. Their musical journey began in 2008 with the debut album Welcome to the Welcome Wagon produced by Sufjan Stevens. In this episode, Vito and Monique talk with me about the creative process behind the making of their latest release, Esther. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with The Welcome Wagon on the sometimes tricky dynamics of balancing art and family. Be sure to visit our Instagram or see the show notes of this episode for accompanying images of the artwork mentioned in our conversation. This is my interview with The Welcome Wagon. Vito and Monique, it is such a pleasure to have you guys on the Makers and Mystics podcast today. And so welcome to the show. We are thrilled to be here and we saw that the your most recent guest was Malcolm Geit. That's right. I took a class with him last summer on the Psalms and really got into his his work. And um, so we thought, man, if we got invited to do something that Malcolm Geit was on, we've we've made it, man. That's <laughs> right. You're there. <laughs> I'm serious. We think he's great, man. I yeah. really love him to pieces. Yeah, he's amazing. And you know, uh, we had such an incredible conversation, but that interview in particular was about two years in the making. I connected with him several years ago at an event we were doing at Duke Divinity School, and we've just been chasing each other along the way. Took a worldwide pandemic and several lockdowns to get us together. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Light out of darkness. That's right. Well, you know, I first learned of your music many years ago with your debut album. But I have to tell you, I am so excited about this new record. I've been listening to the tracks and man, way to go. This is a really cool album. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Great. We're excited about it too. We think it came out really it um we started recording this record we we went into rehearsals for the record with some friends and and one of our producers february of 2020 and then we had to really shut it down and we recorded one single but it was kind of recorded live in this big space and so you know everybody's got one of these stories or a lot of these stories <laughs> pandemic but so anyway i we are really proud of the record and love how it came out we love all the people that helped us make it so we're, we're excited too 
Well, am I correct that the first record you did took about eight years to finish it? Did I read that? Yeah, that's, I mean, th that's true. Uh, it's not that there's no, it's not that that isn't true. It's that we've both always had full-time jobs. So is like, when you say a record took you eight years, it's not as if we're, you know, tromping off to the salt mines each morning and returning back at, you know, dusk. Uh, we weren't working 40 hours a week on it for eight hours, but um, in all that time, we both had full-time jobs. I helped plant a church. Monique was a full-time preschool teacher. We adopted mm -hmm. a child, you know, like we did all these other things. So yeah, it did take a long time. And so a lot of our records have been like that, where they've been these projects that we're working on the side and I'm writing the songs and we're crafting them. And it takes a long time because we don't have the dedicated time to do it, which is okay. And yeah. then Vito was actually learning guitar while he was writing the songs for that first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had to <laughs> so... learn how to play guitar, <laughs> which I, I, I recently begun to make some progress on learning how to play the guitar. Well, that's just a small detail for recording a record. It wasn't that important, right? Well, <laughs> you might be surprised. You, you, <laughs> if you have friends who are very good at guitar, you can just stand next to them. And uh, I've been doing that for years. So, yeah, yeah. We had friends um, supporting us and um, teaching Vito along the way and kind of appreciating the songs as he was writing them. Yeah, it's good. So if the first record took around eight years, then two years in a pandemic is no big deal. True. We blasted right through it. <laughs> no problem. Yes. Well, since we're talking about the record, tell me about this one. It's titled Esther. Maybe you can give me a background on what that title means to you and some about the inception behind this. Yes. So I write all the songs and we're actually doing this from our living room right now. And kind of here's where I do a lot of writing and here's where while Monique's making dinner or if we're doing something else, I'm playing the songs right here and through the pandemic and right prior to it, I had a maybe 15 or 20 songs. And then we began to select from the ones that we thought would work together. And once you begin to assemble them together, they begin to take a shape of their own, you know, not only discrete objects, but also then when they're, consolidated together they become something else and i'm pretty sure it was monique who started to think of the songs and think of the album as as contained within we really didn't do this on purpose but here's one of monique's paintings they just are always up around all over the place and she was making all these paintings and a lot of the materials within the paintings came from her grandmother esther and so we began to think about the songs. A lot of them were about home or leaving home or going home. We began to think about the songs as contained within this, you know, you, 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 in, in one ways we imposed the narrative on the songs and in another way, the songs imposed the narrative on themselves. And the more we thought about it being as this, this record about, not about Monique's grandmother, but in the spirit of, Monique having been given all these materials, these magazine clippings from the 40s, 50s, 60s, books, Bible studies, uh, all these things that she inherited. Mm -hmm. And so when we started to think about the songs in that way, then they took on a, like a further resonance. And so we named them after her. And if you've heard the record, then several of the songs have embedded with them audio of Monique's grandmother reading the Bible. Uh, Monique has like, uh, we, we have about 16 hours of uh, Monique's Esther reading the Bible. So some of them are in, some of those readings are in the songs. And um, we also are, you know, going to make available to people both online and with little cassettes. So you can get like 
an hour of her reading the Bible. And she also does all these other things. Like she'll say what the weather is. She'll say what grandpa and the hired man are going to do that afternoon. She'll say what happened at the Bible study last Sunday. Uh, she'll fall asleep. She'll <laughs> forget to put her dentures in. She does all sorts of things on this, this tape. So anyway, that's wow. a few things about it. Uh, when I was in art school um, in New York City, um, I would do um, painting in the painting studio and um, found it to be kind of lonely. So I um, asked her if she wouldn't mind reading the Bible to me on audio cassette and sending them to me so that I could listen to her while I was painting. And so she did. And then she 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 did a lot of hours of it. So um, they're actually really nice because it's kind of like she she tells me things about her life and she tells me how much she loves me and different kinds of things what she hopes for me she's she applies like she talks about the bible and certain verses that mean are meaningful to her and so it was kind of like like a podcast kind of but one in the <laughs> early yeah. 90s i'd kind never of like my yeah. grandma I never yeah. thought about it. It really right. do sound like podcasts where she'll, you know, and she, you can hear that big clunky stop, you know, because it was like one of those things, clunk, and then she, clunk, and then she's like, well, I'm back. I, you know, we ended with the first and the two Johns last night, but we're going to start with the third John today. And we bought some new tapes, but I was afraid they were going to break because I left them in the car over the night. It was very cold last night. You know, she's <laughs> kind of doing what you do at the beginning of a podcast and then she gets into it and. And yeah. she's also um, really, really wise. So um, she has given me a lot of wisdom in them. I'd love to know specifically about the first track on the album because admittedly that's one of my favorites. There are several on here that stand out to me, but I just love the tone and the texture of that one. Isaiah, California, what can you tell me about that one? Yeah, so in 2017, I was given a fellowship from the Lilly Foundation. The Lilly Foundation and I had a three month sabbatical. Um, they grant mm -hmm. uh, funds to small churches so some pastors can go on sabbatical. And that's what we did. So we spent a month in Italy, which was amazing. And then we spent another month in California. We have friends out there and just kind of wanted to be in a different part of the country. And it was sort of a hard time of life for us, a hard time in our family and a hard time in, even in our marriage. And so this trip ended up being a real balm. It was a, a really healing time for us. And we went out there and the last eight or nine days that we were there, we were some really dear friends. It was actually in some ways I shouldn't, if, if they hear this or see this, they're going to be a little upset, but maybe they won't. <laughs> they live in the central Valley. They live in on a, on a ranch outside of Fresno. And it was the end of July. And honestly, it's not a beautiful place. It's not the place you want to be in the middle of July. It's like 179 degrees in the shade. It's so hot. But they 
are just such beautiful people. And, and we came into their house and um, they let us sleep in their bed. They, they slept out on the couch. And mm-hmm. so for, and we just kind of, we were in some ways the worst guests. We just wouldn't leave. We just stayed there. It was so beautiful and we were soaking up being with them. And the very last day as we were going to drive uh, fly t- or drive to the airport, Calum, that's his name. I guess that doesn't matter, but he made a huge bonfire in the backyard of his ranch. This enormous big bonfire. And we came out that was there. It was just this really dramatic, almost theatrical gesture that was sort of sending us off. And so some of the narrative of the song captures mm-hmm. some of what happened throughout that summer where we felt sort of rootless. But then, you know, as, as we got to the end of the summer, it felt like we could go home again. It, you know, as we left, it wasn't even clear what kind of home we had to come back to. It wasn't clear what kind of home we were leaving. It was, felt really fraught. And by the time we got to the end, it felt very kind of healed up. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of what's going on in that song. Yeah. And the story about the ring, Vito is a runner, so he took took off his wedding band to run. And so sometimes it's off, but on the bedside. And Isaiah, our son, our son. was playing with it. He took it out on the balcony he, of this third or fourth story building that we were in with some friends in Alba. And he had just seen the Lord of the Rings. So he was playing with the <laughs> one ring to rule them all. And uh it fell off the balcony down into this courtyard. Yeah. And he came in and with the, you know, sort of vague deception of like a nine-year-old, he was like, can I go down and play in the courtyard downstairs? <laughs> we are like, no, it's nighttime. You can't go play in the courtyard. Okay. And somehow it came out that he had dropped it and lost it. And we went down and it was still there. That's one of the, I think that I think one versus is about that. You threw my goal. So it sounds like your music blends scriptural passages with very personal narratives. Is that an accurate description? For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much of what, at least this is true for me, I think it's a lot of artists, what you see and what you read, you watch a movie, you watch a TV show, you listen to a podcast and it resonates with you in some way. And then you also find a meaning in it for yourself. And I read the Bible a lot in part because I'm a pastor not because I'm a particularly holy person, but I end up reading the Bible a lot and listening to a lot of hymns and reading a lot of hymn lyrics. And then I spend so much time doing that that when it's time to tell my own story to myself or to other people, then it ends up getting wound through with those things. And I just love all those images. You know, there's that very famous quote from Johnny Cash. You know, he says, I like songs about trains and blood and murder and love and mama. And, you know, it's this long litany of all these really elemental, primal, Mm -hmm. essential things. That's what he likes songs about. And I, you know, the very first song that I ever wrote and that was ever put out on an Asthmatic Kitty compilation, like in 1999, is called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood which is a chestnut of an old hymn and which is also, if you think about the imagery is disgusting. (laughs) There is a fountain filled with blood. Like that's supposed to make me feel good or or reassured. And it does to some degree, you know, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. There's a fountain filled with Jesus's blood. Like what are we supposed to do with that? I don't know. (laughs) 
That's good. That's good. Well, you mentioned your pastoral work. And so I'm curious for both of you, really, do you find that your art making and your pastoral work complements one another nicely? Or do you find that there's a bit of tension between those two worlds that you sometimes have to resolve? Mm. I think we found ourselves in a congregation that was really special. And I think there was an appreciation for each other back and forth. There there were um, talented musicians and tons of artists as leaders as well as members. So it was kind of like fertile soil for for them as well as us, I think. That congregation was always really receptive to what we were doing and who we were. So it didn't feel like we had to bifurcate those two aspects of who we are. I'm a musician and a writer and a poet, but I'm also a pastor. And those things bled into each other all the time uh, at Resurrection, the church that I was at. And and that congregation and the elders and everybody were really open to that. And it ended up, you know, I think who I was as a pastor there ended up having an indelible mark upon them. And then they, who they all were as uh, actors and writers and teachers and moms and all kinds of people, dads, they had an indelible mark on me that it affected what kind of music we made and what kind of things, you know, I write or even the things that Monique paints. And so even now that, um, that relationship and that mutual giving is still exists. It's still there so that I don't, I mean, on the one hand in a more uh, surface sort of way, there's a little bit of tension because I'm always, you know, thinking like uh, take time off to make the record. Can we tour? Well, it's going to have to be in really short bursts. And, and that's just the constraints of work. That's not the constraints of being a pastor, really. Mm-hmm. It's not the constraints that yeah, the congregation ever put on me. So there are some constraints or some tensions, but actually in terms of being able to express myself as an artist, I don't think that there was ever much tension there. And in fact, the longer I was there, the more it felt like I don't have to preach like anybody else. I can try to figure out how to preach like me. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have to make music for anybody else. We're more or less making music for ourselves and for the people around us. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love asking that question because, you know, sometimes the pastoral role can demand a bit of clarity, whereas the artist really needs to have room for that ambiguity. And so I'm always curious how, you know, how those things intersect with one another. Yeah, I would say that probably if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, my answer would have been slightly different. Maybe it is true that a pastor, there has to be more clarity or more, I don't know what the right word is, uh, the role calls for some kind of definition that maybe an artist can be a little bit more um, murky on the edges. But I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I hold to that much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want, you know, on the one hand, you want as an artist, you need structure, the song has to begin at some point and end at another, <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to have definition and and you're also aiming to convey something and you have to do it with a certain amount of craft and art and skill. You just can't Blah, like you can't that doesn't where it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand as a pastor mm-hmm. you know i was i was meeting with somebody recently <laughs> and i was t- i was telling them about a trip that i once took a mission trip and about how much for a f- significant part of the mission trip i didn't want to be there 
And I felt really frustrated and I felt even angry. And I just said this, I just didn't, I didn't kind of think about how it would be received. And the person that I was with said, I'm really glad you said that. I'm really glad that you said that. It makes me feel, it seems really honest or it seems really, you know, whereas a pastor is supposed to come back from a mission trip and say, I was inspired. I, you know, it, it really encouraged me to, to serve and love. And it was such a gift. I, I got more than I gave, you know, and all that stuff. It's true. Uh, but also I've been on mission trips where I was like, I do not want to be here anymore. This is too hard. I am, my bucket is totally filled and overflowing and I've got nothing more that I can take on. And that's the truth. You know, that's, it doesn't make it right or it doesn't make it good, but it's, it's, it's the way things really are rather than saying, this is what I should say. Well, we talked about your grandmother earlier and the unique role that she's played in this album and in the creative conception behind some of the songs. But I also noticed that, Monique, you have come forward more on this album, even as a lead vocalist in the songwriting, as opposed to some of the previous records. And you were telling me earlier also that your visual art is playing a large role in this record also in the merch and doing a painting for each of the songs. Can you tell me more about how your role is different and how your art is playing more of a front and center role on this record than previous records? Yes, I, I'm taking more risks and I'm, instead of just like making a, an illustration for the song, which I have done did in the first record, which I, I love those quirky drawings, mm -hmm. um, but these I'm kind of making larger paintings and putting myself out there a little bit more, mm -hmm. just as I did in the vocals those vocals are special and that the fact that i was on the songs more was due to the dan smith of the danielson family mm -hmm. and his wife ellen um recorded my vocals and they said to me monique you're gonna be on all the songs <laughs> i love it so for three days we all worked together writing harmonies teaching them to me, coaching me through them, getting them on the record. And so that was a really fun experience. Well, Vito, Monique, thank you so much for persevering to make this record for the rest of us. Thanks for being with me on Makers and Mystics. I'm looking forward to spending more time with the songs and getting to know you guys better as well. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate your interest and the conversation too. And thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This has been an album drop bonus episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us that kind review on iTunes. You can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash makersandmystics for exclusive content, including the segment I mentioned at the top of the show with Monique and Vito on the dynamics of art and family. We'll see you again next week for our next full interview episode. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art. Hey.